Now, to the word of the Lord today. Uh, the word of the Lord came to me from the book of 1 Peter. This is the first letter that Peter, the apostle Peter, wrote. And he wrote this book to the Christians who have been scattered throughout Asia Minor. And they were scattered because at that point in time, persecution against the church had broken out. In Jerusalem, and in surrounding areas, and as a result of that, the, many of the Christians now began to scatter even to faraway countries. Uh, and so uh, they're, they're out of Israel, uh, and they're in these different countries, and Peter pens this letter uh, addressing some various needs uh, to uh, these Christians. In fact, in this first letter, he urged and taught the Christians how to live a godly life in an ungodly age. Amen. And as I began thinking about that, I thought about how for the most part here in America, we don't experience physical persecution to the measure that we've got to run away and go to a different country. Uh, we don't experience that here through America, but there is persecution of different sorts. There is difficulties that we have to face. But here's the bigger question that we want to look at. Are we living in an ungodly age? That's the question I want to look at this morning. Are we living in a time where uh, the, the things of God, the, the, the right way to live is no longer paramount in our nation? The Bible tells us this uh, to help answer this question of a, an ungodly age. I want to look at... Uh, 2 Timothy, before we turn to Peter. So I'm looking at 2 Timothy in chapter 3, the first four verses. Listen to how the Apostle Paul describes the end of times prior to the Lord's return. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. If you could lower my mic a little bit, that would be great. People will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control. Brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. If we look at today's situation and the atmosphere that we are currently living in, and just looking at some of the things that are described here by the Apostle Paul, the, the attitudes of people's lives, how they view life, uh, I think surely you'll agree with me, we are definitely in the last days. We are definitely living in an ungodly age. So, 
That brings me to my second question. If you and I, as believers, as the people of God, if we, as those who have embraced Jesus Christ as our Savior, are living in this ungodly age, then the question becomes, how can we live a godly life in an ungodly age? How can you and I live an ungodly life in an ungodly age? And that's what Peter addresses. So let's turn to Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2. Here's where the, our thoughts come from in verse, starting in verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear, Submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. Now, living a godly life in an ungodly age, the first thing we need to establish is the foundation that everything else we're going to say is built upon. Notice that Peter addressed them as uh, those who were foreigners and exiles. Again, remember physically, they were living outside of their country because of the persecution that they were running away from. And so they're living in an environment that was not of their own choosing, in difficult environment, and yet that's where they were at. And Peter is writing to them. And I want you to understand something now that even though they were living an uncomfortable life in an uncomfortable situation that they, they found themselves in, Peter is addressing them now. And this is how it connects to you and I and the foundation that we have to lay before we build anything on top of it. And that is this. Listen, living godly lives in an ungodly age is, must not be predicated on ideal surroundings. Ideal surroundings. In other words, our desire 
And our commitment to live a godly life must not be predicated, conditioned upon God's blessings. Now, why am I saying that? Because oftentimes we can fall into that trap that I'm living a godly life. And by godly, we're going to talk about what that is in a practical sense. I'm living a godly life because as we sang earlier, God has been so good to me. God provides for me. God blesses me. God keeps me from the enemy's attacks. God is so good. I love him. That's why I serve him. The problem with that is that when that is the condition for which you're living a godly life, what happens when trouble comes your way? What happens when uh, the bottom falls out and all hell breaks loose in your life and in your family? What happens when you look at your life physically and all of a sudden you are wondering where is God in all of this? You see, when you are living a godly life based upon ideal surroundings, then when those surroundings are not ideal anymore, you're tempted to begin to question whether it's worth to live a godly life or not. Oh yeah, look in the 73rd Psalm. You'll find that the, apostle, the, the, the King David had the same thing. King David looked around. He's running for his life. All hell's breaking loose around him. The sinner is prospering. And David begins to wonder, why have I kept myself pure? Why am I doing this, God? The sinner is the one prospering and the one that's living right isn't. So why should I do this thing? Some time to time, if we're not careful, we slip into this thing that I'm serving God. I'm living right because of what God has done for me. And we're talking about this ideal surrounding that God has created in our life. Now listen, I want to make sure you understand. I pray that God blesses you. I pray that we're all surrounded with God's blessing. But we cannot live a godly life based upon God's blessing. We can't do that. We have to have that foundation because now we have to build on, well, what does it mean? Practically speaking, what does it mean to live a godly life? Three things I want to leave with you this morning. Number one is the word abstaining. Say that with me. Abstaining. Now, abstaining here, notice uh, Peter said, abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Abstain, refrain, hold back from these giving in to these sinful desires, these temptations that come. Remember, as, as sin increases in these last days, as we're living in an ungodly age, if you can reference back to Timothy where he is talking about there are going to be people, you're going to be surrounded by people who are lovers of themselves, who are lovers of money, who are boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parent. Whoa. Everybody listen up now, especially you young people. You can't live a godly life being disobedient to your parents. I know the parents will say, yay, amen, pastor, preach it, pastor, preach it. But we're going to get to everybody in a minute now. Notice, 
unholy. Do you know the Bible says without holiness, no one will see the Lord. If you and I are thinking that, hey, my, my eternity is secure because I, put, I, I asked Jesus to come into my heart. But if we're not living a holy life, we're deceiving ourselves. Oh, no. This is going to be the, um, the trademark of, what's the, of this ungodly age. Without love, unforgiveness, slanderous, saying things against people to bring down and tear down their character. Without self-control, treacherous, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Oh no, and this is just a sample that Paul outlines of what was, what's going to be going on, what the prevailing attitude is going to be in the last days. And the reason why I talk about this, I'm saying this, is because what, one of the pressures that is put on us in these last days, uh, it, it, it is to get us to conform to the pattern of this world. It's why Paul said, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Why? Because what, Paul, what is Paul saying? Let me break it down very simple. Don't do what everybody else is doing. Just because everybody else is doing it does not make it right in God's eyes. Just because it's acceptable doesn't make it acceptable before God. There is a total difference between what God finds acceptable and what man finds acceptable. And notice that Peter, what did Peter tell the, the, the people? Don't use your freedom as a means to promote evil. Wow. Hmm. In other words... What is happening in the church today is that there's a promotion of ungodly living. And that is, is acceptable before God because we're free in God. Our freedom is predicated and, and directed by the word of God. This is the guidelines by how we're to, to live. Anything outside of these guidelines is sin. I'm not saying that. The Word of God teaches us that. The Word of God teaches us that all wrongdoing is sin. Well, that means if I'm doing wrong by how I'm living, then even though everybody else is doing that, I'm still sinning before God. And I have to make sure that I, if I want to live a godly life in this age, it means not giving into temptation, not doing what everybody else is doing, but rather making sure that my life lines up with what the Word of God teaches me. Abstaining. That's number one for building a godly life. Number two, after abstaining, is living. The word living. And by that... Peter goes on to say in verse 12, live such good lives among the pagans. Live good lives among the pagans. Now this phrase, good life, means that you are to live honorably in your behavior and in your conversation. So let's look at that and break that down. We want to live a godly life in this ungodly age. 
then the, Peter is saying this. More important than how you conduct yourself in church is how you conduct yourself outside of church. Because remember, he did it among pagans. Pagan means unbelievers. So let's bring it to us here today. What Peter is saying to us is, I want you to live a good life. And what that means is, I want to make sure that your behavior and your conversation among the pagans is right in God's sight. All right. So what does that mean? It means this. That a godly life is proven more by how we live outside the church walls and how we live inside the church walls. Yeah, that's what it means. You see, because, come on, we, we're good. We are so sneaky and sly. We are good at putting up a good face here. But I have discovered you can't put up a face at your job. You can't put up a face in school. You can't put up a face in your community. You can't put up a face among your family members that are unsafe. They see the real you. And Peter is saying, and not only do you need to abstain, don't give in to that temptation, but you've got to make sure that your conversation and your behavior among those that don't believe is godly. And can I throw in, of course, and I keep throwing this in because it's the age that we live in. Your conversation also means social media. Because social media is an extension. It's your voice out in the internet. So the question becomes, what you're posting on all of these social media apps is your conversation godly? Or are you slandering somebody? Remember, slander is listed among the sins that are prevalent in the last age, in this ungodly age. How we conduct ourselves at the job. Are we involved in gossip? Are we involved in unholy conversations that are sexual in nature. Coarse joking, if you will. Do believers look at you and say, there is a godly woman. There is a godly man. See, we're good at labeling ourselves. But the question is, do unbelievers label you that? Because of what they hear you say, because of what they, how they see you live, do they ascribe to you that name, godly, when it comes to your character? We're talking this morning about building a godly life in an ungodly age. And the first one we talked about was abstaining. And we're talking here about living, that we live good lives among unbelievers. Here's my last one. But look at your neighbor, tell him, buckle your seatbelt, the ride's gonna get bumpy. 
I'm, I'm about to tell you the word that nobody ever wants to hear, but everybody needs to hear. Here's the third word. You ready for it? Submitting. Submitting. Because the Apostle Peter goes on to say uh, uh, to all of us, submit yourselves, verse 13. Could you put that verse 13 on the screen for us? Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to how many human authority? To every human authority. Submit. Now, this is the word that we all chafe at in the natural. Uh, we think submit means I got to yield under in the sense that I, I don't want to, but I'm going to yield unto this and then give in. I'm, I'm, I'm going to become subjected to this thing. But here's what it means biblically. Submit means to recognize and yield and give in to the authority of God as it's expressed through human vehicles. See, because we're good at saying, well, I submit to God. Well, do you? Before you come to that conclusion, remember, God exercises his authority through human vehicles. So why does he, why does he say that? Well, the first thing he talks about is uh, to, through all human authority. So let's break down what, what we're talking about human authority. The first one I want to talk to you about is government. Government leadership specifically. Listen to what the Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 13. The first seven verses. Let everyone, come on, say everyone with me. Everyone. Now look at your neighbor and say everyone means you. Those of you with us online, everyone means you. Let everyone be subject, here it is, to the governing authority. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is whose servant? God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servant. The third time he's saying that. Who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Now, the Apostle Paul is saying, 
Everyone that's in authority is there because God put them there. Remember in the Old Testament, in, the, in, the, in Exodus, we find that the people of God are in bondage, in slavery in Egypt. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, is on the throne. God sends Moses to, to tell uh, uh, Pharaoh, let my people go. But God also tells Moses, and he's not going to listen to you. Why? Because I have raised Pharaoh up for this moment so that I might display my glory. Pharaoh, a man that imprisoned God's people, God saying, I'm the one that put him there. I'm the one that got him in that place because of my purpose and what I'm going to accomplish. What am I saying to you this morning? Listen to me. It does not matter about somebody's political affiliation. Everyone that is in authority in government is put there by God. Not by you. You didn't vote somebody into office. God put them there. Now people, and, and the Bible is now telling us and commanding us I want you to submit to them. And remind you, when Paul wrote this, he was in prison in Rome, and the man that was on the throne was Nero, a man who was going to persecute Christians, and he was under arrest for being a Christian. And yet he's saying, honor him. Honor the man that's put you in prison, honor everybody in authority. Why? Because everybody that's in authority exists there because God put them there. Therefore, to rebel against them is to rebel against God. And anybody who rebels against God will be punished. See, what I'm preaching this morning is this. We live in a state now, in this ungodly age, where everybody's rebelling against everything. Nobody wants to submit to anything. Everybody wants to be their own God. And yet we have clear mandate from heaven in God's word. And we cannot live a godly life in this ungodly age unless we are submitting to every human authority because they all have been established by God. So the first submission is dealing with government leadership. Here's the second one. He goes on to say, slaves. Let me get back to Peter. He goes on to say in verse 18, slaves, in reverent fear, submit yourself to your masters. Not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. Now, of course, we don't have slaves anymore in this country. But I want to connect this to our employers. For the Bible tells us in Colossians chapter 3, verse 22 and 23, slaves obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. So what is that talking about now? 
If we want to live godly lives in an ungodly age, we have to recognize that we have to submit not only to everyone that's in authority as far as government, but we have to submit to those that are in authority in, in our job, in our place of employment. My supervisor, my manager, they are the authority over my life. And notice the Bible says something that, again, we chafe at. We can't like, ah, that can't be. It just can't be in God's word. Because he said, I want you to obey them, even the ones that are harsh to you. Submit to them. See, we live in a day and age where that's not happening. Oh, no. I got a hard problem on my job. I'm going to deal with that. Nobody's getting over on me. This is, this is the, the spirit of this age. It is not the spirit of God's word. My Bible tells me, hey, if you want to live a godly life in this ungodly age, then you are to be the best worker you can be. Yeah, you got a terrible boss. Wake up. Smell the coffee. It is what it is. But you're still mandated in heaven. If you want to live a godly life, then you are to be the best worker he's ever seen. Well, but he doesn't deserve it. It's not about him deserving it. It's about you represent God. And he also represents God because him being in authority over you means you are commanded to submit to everyone in authority. That means, listen, that supervisor that you hate, or let me not use that strong word, you don't like that person. That means I don't like the person God put over me. Ooh. I told you it was going to get bumpy. I told you it was going to be hard. I'm preaching this morning about living a godly life in an ungodly age. Because see, your ungodly workers, they'll hate that boss. But now the question is, do they see you doing the same? And the Bible says, hey, and do it, live a good life and do everything do your best when their eye is not on you. You know, we've all been in that place. Oh, the boss is here. I mean, look busy. <laughs> That's the spirit of this age. The spirit of the age says, he's gone, time to party. Oh, I remember years ago, I got to tell this story. I think I told it once years ago, but it bears telling now. In the church in New York, we had four maintenance men on staff. And in this, and we had two buildings, uh, the main sanctuary building and then the building next door, which was the, the offices. And in between, there was a little alley and a little backyard. And this was in, I think, in the middle of July. It was really hot that day. I was coming out from an errand, and I decided, let me walk through the building to see what the maintenance men are doing, making sure everything is up to date and, we're, you know, the work is being done the way it's supposed to. And the building was empty. And I'm saying, where are these guys? And all of a sudden, I hear laughter coming from the alleyway. And I opened the door to the alleyway, and there they are. They had gotten the hoses out, and they're hosing one another running around <laughs> instead of working. And one of them, I'll call him Mr. Slick, he was the furthest away from me, and the uh, office building had uh, an old cellar with storm doors. 
and it was open. And he sees me, and he didn't think that I saw him, and he jumps down into the cellar. And like two minutes, he comes through another door. Hey, pastor, what's going on? Like, like he wasn't involved. <laughs> Meanwhile, he's all wet and everything. <laughs> and I'm like, seriously? <laughs> you seriously think you got over? Don't we do that? Don't we have a tendency to slack off when nobody's looking? But you see, if we want to live a godly life in a godly age, here's what I also discovered. Someone is always watching. And when I say that, that's not, I'm not talking about the Lord. That's a given. But I've discovered on the job, in school, the ones that watch are the unbelievers. And sometimes when we think nobody is seeing us, they are scoping us out. And now what they're secretly saying is, she's no different than I am. He's no different than I am, you see. Yeah, we're talking about living a godly life in an ungodly age. And if we want to do that, then we have to be submitted to our employer and be the very best employee we can be, and not just when his eye is on us, but all the time. Two more, and then we're going to wrap it up. Two more areas of submission. And that's, this next one is called the home structure. Because Peter... In the third chapter, let me read verses 1 through 7 now. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity of your reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as elaborate hairstyles and wearing of gold, jewelry, or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past put their hope in God, used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way of submission and understanding God's purpose, in the same way, consider, uh, be con in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and heirs with you in the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. And then very quickly in, Col in Colossians 3.20, Children, obey your parents in what? Everything. For this pleases the Lord. So what did we talk about? God has a structure in the home. And God's structure is they are, there's the husband, then there's the wife, and there's the children. And the husband has been charged by God to lead the home. Therefore, because he is the leader, the one in authority put there by God, then now 
the Bible teaches us that wives and children are to submit to him. Now, what this means is the, is the understanding of the structure of God's order. And whenever we get out of the structure of God's order, we do not get God's blessing. The reason why so many homes are in disarray, the reason why the blessing of God does not fall on the family is because they're not following God's order. Now, the one who has the biggest responsibility is the husband and father. Why? Because he's the one that's going to answer before God. He's the one that's been charged by God and say, you are to lead this home. Husbands, fathers, listen, you are the one. You cannot delegate your responsibility and then mandate your submission. You cannot say to your wife, you handle this, but you better submit to me. You have to recognize that your number one responsibility is to get before God, find from God what your family needs and provide that for your family. Not just physically, spiritually, emotionally. You are the leader of that home. And you lead not by mandating submission, but by practicing it. You cannot, you cannot, you cannot, you cannot receive submission from others if you are not submitted to God. And there are times where husbands struggle, wondering, why, why does my family not submit to me? Why are they not listening to me and following me? Well, how about, are you following God? Are you listening to God? Because last time I checked, every godly wife and mother wants a godly husband and father. And has no problem following that person. So, and by the way, submission doesn't mean you, agree, you give in and when you agree. But when you disagree, you don't have to give in. That's not submission. Submission is my husband has to make the final decision and I yield to that authority. Why? Because he's the authority God has placed over my life to protect me, to help me. So he's going to go seek God. He's going to make a decision and I'm going to support that decision, whatever it might be, even if I disagree with it. Why? Because he's the one that has to make the decision. My role is to be his helpmate, his counselor. I share with him my thoughts. I share with him what I believe. And then I trust that as he seeks God, he will make a decision that God is going to ordain. Not what I want, not what he wants, but what God is directing. Children, obey your parents. Collectively, together, obey your parents. Why? Because that's what pleases the Lord. That's the structure and order that God desires. And that God has implemented. And that does not mean, first of all, that the husband is always going to make all the perfect and right decisions. There's no such thing as a perfect husband. I'm the closest thing you could see to that. I can say that because Yvonne's not here. She's with, working with the kids. <laughs> but it'll be our secret. We won't tell her. Listen, we've been married now 43 years. I can tell you, I can't count how many times I've made a wrong decision. There's no such thing as a perfect parent. There's no such thing as a perfect husband and a perfect wife. We're in this thing together. 
But we recognize if we understand God's order and God's structure and align our life with that, we get God's blessing. And I know that's what we all want. Amen? That's what we want in our home. And we can't live a godly life in this ungodly age and, and have all hell breaking loose in the home. It doesn't work that way. Because why? Because the truth of the matter is our godliness begins at home. Yeah, it does. Listen to me. Can I have a word? Husbands, fathers, your children will never, ever do as you say. But they will always do as you do. If you are not godly, don't expect your children to be godly. If worshiping and praising God isn't important to you, then it will not be important to your children. The father is the barometer of the home. That spiritual barometer, the temperature of the spiritual temperature of the home is gauged not by the mother, not by the wife, but by the father. That's why my encouragement to you dads, to your husbands, get after God. Get after God because then your wife will see that you are pursuing after God and that there's an avenue for God to talk to you when things are not right so that they can get right in your relationship with her. She'll know he's talking to God. So I know God will give him the wisdom that he needs to, to make the decisions for our home. And there's a peace that comes over every wife and every, and every child when they see their dad leading the way spiritually. Yes. And the same thing holds true for wives and moms. Your children will look at you and say, Mom, I see you lifting your hands in church. But I also see you lifting your hands at home to dad. That's not right. We don't want our children struggling to figure out which one is right, do we? Or which way should I go? Because in truth, for the most part, they will always choose the lesser path. And if you are one that is given over to bouts of tantrum and yelling, don't be surprised when your children do that. They're only mirroring what they see. So the big onus for us is this, recognize this is God's structure, and we want to establish that structure and keep it in our home so that our home will be godly. Lastly, Pastor Jason, if you would come, please. The last area for submission, and that's in church leadership, here in church. See, the Bible says in Hebrews 13, 17, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority. Why? Because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that your work will be a joy, not a burden. For that would be of no benefit to you. Obey your leaders. I'm going to ask all the deacons that are here, elders, pastors, would you just stand for me right now? Come on, stand if you're here. Uh, if you are leading a ministry, I want you to stand. This is just a sample of some of the leadership that are here in the church. The Bible says, have confidence in your leaders. 
These are the people that God has raised up to oversee the church, to govern the church, to lead in the path that God has outlined for us. Whether it's their uh, respective ministry, whether it's the overall structure as the, as the deacons and the elders, they're part of what we call the leadership council. Uh, the technical term for it in the business world is they're the board of the church to help make uh, decisions with me on, on what we ought to do and how we ought to do that. They're the ones that God placed over us. And the Bible says, submit to their authority. Recognize that their authority doesn't come from a, a human being. It doesn't come from the church. It comes from God. And here's the reason why they're saying you need to submit to them. Because they're going to have to give an answer to God for how they lead. We will all stand before God one day and God will judge every leader in the church on how we led. So you may say, well, but if they're not leading well, why should I submit? Leave that to God. Because God will deal with that when we stand before him. Again, thank you guys. You can be seated. Now, listen, listen to me. Are these leaders perfect? No. Do they always make all the right decisions? No. But as we say with the home, there is no such thing as perfection here in this life. But we do recognize the awesome responsibility we have before God. That, that we're going to stand before God. I don't know about the leaders, but I, I believe I can speak for the, at least the board and the, the pastors. We, we tremble before God. I don't want to make a wrong decision. I know a wrong decision impacts lives in a negative way. So we seek after God. We pray. We do our very best to make the right decision. And because of that, the writer he was said, submit to them. Why? Because if you don't, what benefit is that going to be for you? What do you gain by rebelling against the authority that God has established? You see, we're talking this morning about living godly lives in an ungodly age. And we laid this foundation that it has nothing to do with ideal surroundings. That like the believers then who are going through difficult times, just because we have difficult lives right now physically does not mean that we should not live a godly life. And to do that, we've got to abstain, hold back from the sinful desires that war against our soul. We got to make sure that we live a good life, especially among the unbelievers. We got to make sure that we are submitting to those that God has put in authority over our lives, over every single one of them, the Bible teaches us. If by God's grace we can do that, then we will be living a godly life in this ungodly age.